Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. We've made it to Wednesday. It's May 26th. I'm Nyla Boudou. Here's how we're making you smarter today. President Biden plans to meet with Vladimir Putin. Plus, new polling on how Americans view the fight for racial justice. But first, the failure to vaccinate the world is today's one big thing. Almost one out of two Americans have had their first dose of vaccination against COVID-19. Compare that to one in 10 for the rest of the world. Here's why this matters. In the UK, for example, where second doses have been delayed, a newer variant is starting to outpace others. Axios' world editor Dave Lawler is here to tell us what this means for the pandemic long term. Hey, Dave. Hi, Nyla. Can you tell me more about why the UK is a good example of what the rest of the world is facing right now? So this variant we're talking about first emerged in India, which is having uh, obviously a horrific outbreak. And as you mentioned, uh, it's now outpacing other variants in the UK, which has really been one of the leaders in vaccinations. Now, the UK is in a better position to deal with that than other countries might be. But there's this pretty big picture race between vaccines and variants around the world. There's a study that shows that the UK vaccinations have been 83% effective against this variant. But the problem is that that might not be true in the longer term. So there's a real risk that new variants could develop that might be more resistant to the vaccines. And we've seen some signs of that with a variant that came up earlier in South Africa. So this is really something that we have to monitor even beyond the point where we have hit a very high vaccination rate in the U.S. Dave, I'm not sure if this is a fair question, but how much of this is our fault, Americans' fault, because we've had such a huge hold on the supply of vaccines? So it's certainly not entirely the fault of the U.S., but there's really only four big producers of vaccines right now, China, the U.S., India, and the EU. And and out of those four big producers, the U.S. is the only one uh, that made a choice basically not to export vaccines while we were making sure that Americans could have access. Now that's starting to change. The Biden administration has said they're going to donate 80 million doses of vaccines by the end of next month. They're starting to think longer term about how to make the U.S. part of the solution here, kind of a vaccine factory for the world. But it's a conversation that we pushed off while we were having this kind of American Americans' first approach that has not gone unnoticed in other countries who have really been putting pressure on the U.S. to start opening up our supply of the vaccine, which is one of the major supplies of vaccines anywhere in the world, so that these countries that have something like 1% of their population vaccinated uh, can start to see that number rise, maybe even before we worry about vaccinating kids or saving shots for boosters. That's a very difficult conversation here, and obviously the preference has been so far to focus on the needs of Americans. Dave, why does this matter in the longer term if the U.S. doesn't share its vaccine supply? There has been really worrying forecasts that this process could stretch out really to 2023 to people getting access to the vaccine in some lower income countries. That's a problem in and of itself. There's a secondary problem here where if the virus is spreading freely in some of these countries, we could have new variants develop. And even Americans who've been vaccinated could potentially be vulnerable to those variants that are spreading around the world. So the U.S. does have a self-interest as well to make sure that vaccines reach other countries and we can avoid the sort of out-of-control outbreaks that we've seen in India and elsewhere. Axios' world editor, Dave Lawler. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Noah. We'll be back in 15 seconds with the U.S.-Russia relationship. (laughs) 
Welcome back to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Boudou. Yesterday, the White House announced a June summit between President Joe Biden and Russian President Vladimir Putin. This comes days after Belarus, an ally of Russia, arrested journalist Roman Protasevich mid-flight, causing international outrage. Axios' Zach Basu has been tracking the U.S.-Russia relationship. Hey, Zach. Hi, Nyla. This summit's going to be in a few weeks in Geneva. Can you catch us up on what the Biden-Putin relationship has been like so far? The relationship has been really fraught in the first six months of the Biden presidency, really beginning with the election when U.S. intelligence assessed that Putin favored Donald Trump and ordered influence operations aimed at denigrating Biden's candidacy. So, so that's where things began. And from there, you've had Biden calling Putin a killer. You've had U.S. sanctions over Russia's cyber activities and, and jailing of opposition leader Alexei Navalny. So the relationship between the Kremlin and Biden administration has really gotten off to a poor start, and it, it should be an awkward meeting. And then adding to that awkwardness is this recent action by Belarus. We saw the White House already condemning that this week. How much more of a strain does that put on the relationship? Right. So the, the Belarus question is an interesting one because there, there are some opposing views on this. Belarus under Lukashenko has been an ally to Russia, but in some ways it's really a marriage of convenience since Belarus is sort of a, a buffer between Russia and the NATO countries. So Putin has sought to keep Belarus out of the Western sphere of influence, and, and Lukashenko has served as an ally in that respect. Uh, but some of his more erratic conduct, uh, like this episode and, and the heavy-handed crackdown on protests last year, has, has done nothing but cause Putin headaches. You know, some analysts believe Lukashenko couldn't have diverted this Ryanair plane without the knowledge or approval of the Russian government. Others say there's no evidence of Russia's involvement so far. And the Kremlin's defense of Belarus is sort of a byproduct of, of the relationship that they want to maintain and, and their opposition to the West. Uh, but at, at least in the immediate term, the European Union's reaction, which has included preparing sanctions and, and banning flights from flying over Belarus, has, has certainly complicated Putin's diplomacy with the U.S. Axios is Zach Basu. Thanks, Zach. Thanks. This week, we've been talking about how America has changed since George Floyd's death. One big question I have is how are Americans thinking about racial justice now? A new Anxious Ipsos poll of nearly 2,000 people gets at this, with some striking results, especially from white respondents. Axios's Margaret Taleb is here. Margaret, what does this poll tell us about the divide in this country right now? We know politics bifurcates everything. Democrats and Republicans feel differently about things. Uh, nowhere does it come close to the kind of gap that we see on these questions about race and how you interpret uh, not just racial injustices, but what to do about them. Did our country make the changes that are needed to give Black Americans equal rights with white Americans? White Republicans, 79% of them say yes. 12% of white Democrats say yes. All of those protests in the summer of 2020, do they have a positive impact on society? 60% of white Democrats say yes. 8% of white Republicans say yes. What we actually found was a lot of kind of kindred spirit between white Democrats and black Americans. The protests over 2020 has a, had a positive impact on society. 52% of black Americans say yes, that's true. Has the country made the changes needed to give black Americans equal rights? Six percent of black Americans say that's true. What's your big takeaway from all of this? 
that it's going to be almost impossible for America to move forward in any meaningful and consistent way until there can be some kind of consensus view on what's really happening and how to address it. Another really interesting takeaway from this survey is just how pervasive this national year of introspection was. I mean, everybody spent time thinking about these issues, trying to make sense of these issues. Axios' managing editor for politics, Margaret Talev. Thanks as always, Margaret. Thanks, Nyla. Before we go today, there's a good reason to look up tonight for all of you on the West Coast or elsewhere in the Pacific, a total lunar eclipse. It will be the closest and largest full moon of the year, and because of shadows, appear a deep red color, hence the term blood moon. For those of you in Hawaii, if the sky is clear, you'll have the best view. That's it for us today. If you want to send us feedback, you can always email podcasts at axios.com or reach out to me directly on Twitter. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning.